0: tell me how old you are. I'm 11. Yeah? Yeah. And what grade are you in? Six. All right. And what's your favorite thing to do at school?
1: I like Mm PE and lunch.
0: Yeah. Okay. And we are talking about lockdown drills on my podcast this week. So I want to know what the lockdown drill is like for you.
1: Well, we just go in a corner or an area where you can't, someone can't look at you from the door. So if there is someone that was supposed to be in the building, they won't be able to see you.
0: Is there an alarm that sounds or anything?
1: No, the principal just comes on the intercom and just says, this is a lockdown drill. Please lock the doors.
0: Okay. And how does that make you feel?
1: Well, usually it happens like once every three months or something, so I'm pretty used to just being a drill. And we live in like pretty safe neighborhoods, so I'm not really worried like there's gonna be someone bad that comes into the building. So everyone pretty much assumes it's a drill, but there are some kids who are a little nervous about it being not a drill.
0: Mm hmm. How does it compare to a fire drill?
1: Well, the fire drill, the alarm goes off, and you have to, like, actually exit the building. In this, everyone has to stay, like, extremely quiet and, like, make it like you're not even there. And with a fire drill, everyone wants to see you out there, and everyone wants to know you're there. But with the lockdown drill, you pretty much just have to act like you're not even in the building at all.
0: Do you remember first grade? Yeah. Yeah, what was your favorite part of first grade? My teacher. Yeah, your teacher was pretty good that year, wasn't she? Yeah. And what, what's something that she would do that was fun in first grade?
1: Well, I really like, she always did like these science experiments and we would do like, we had like a science club and the other class would come in we'd do all sorts of cool things. Like we made like marshmallow slingshots once and we
0: made leprechaun traps. Yeah. She was a pretty great teacher. And what is your favorite thing to do after school in um, sixth grade?
1: Well, I just joined the swim team, so I'm doing that. but in the fall, I really like doing field hockey. That was really fun.
0: What's some of the cool things that you've done since first grade? Um like what are some of your favorite memories between well, first grade and now?
1: We went to Disney World,
0: yeah, that's pretty fun,
1: and I can't remember it. I'm pretty sure we went to Colorado and Texas mm, mm-hmm. and we went to Storyland,
0: yeah. All fun times with your family?
1: Mm hmm
0: And what would you want my listeners to know about being a sixth grader?
1: Well, pretty much, like, when you get in school, you pretty much have to brace yourself for what's coming, because sometimes it's going to be, like, a really awesome day, or it's going to be an
0: awful day. What makes it an awesome day?
1: If we, like, do something really fun at gym, or if there's, like, a project or something we're going to start working on that's fun.
0: And what's an awful day?
1: Like when your friends are mean to you and when you just don't feel good.
0: Anything else you'd want to share
1: mm.
0: about life as a sixth grader?
1: Well, right now I really like magic. Yes, you do. Mhm.
0: And you're learning how to do magic tricks? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thank you for letting me interview you.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Welcome back to Balancing Chaos with Kelly and Gretchen. And today we have a guest. So I am going to turn it over and let our guest introduce herself. So go ahead, Sarah.
2: Um, My name is Sarah walker Karen. I'm a journalist and a writer and an author. And I'm the mother of a survivor of the Sandy Hook School shooting.
0: So even saying the Sandy Hook school shooting, like it honestly gives me like a shiver. Me
2: too. I, I already want to
0: cry. <laughs> I got you tissues on purpose. Oh, seriously. Um, I like I I know that you're that's why we invited you here. And I remember the first time that I realized that was was reading some of your writing mm-hmm. and being like, oh, 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 my God. um, What I remember the, the I remember that day very well. And I was hundreds of miles away and have no connection to it until having you sitting here in my living room because my daughter was in first grade so I have this very like it was like the first one that had a strong parallel for me um, I and so it affects me even though I didn't know anyone I cannot imagine how it affects you so what would you want to share about your experience about that day what would you want to share
2: um well, first, in terms of how I refer to it, it's easier for me to refer to it as my son's a survivor of the Sandy Hook school shooting than it is to say my son is a Sandy Hook survivor. Mm-hmm. That makes me cry every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in something different in the wording. It's been five years, um, and it still, it still is right there all the time. Um, in terms of what I'd share about that day, I mean, you don't think it will ever happen in your town, in your neighborhood, um, but it can happen anywhere. And we've learned that time and time again. Sandy Hook and Newtown is part of Newtown, Connecticut. Um, Newtown and Sandy Hook are the quietest of places. They're nice neighborhoods and nice people, and everybody knows each other. And it it, it happened there. It can happen anywhere. School shootings have become an epidemic. Um, gun violence has become an epidemic. Uh, so. I guess that's my, my, the biggest takeaway that I have is that it can happen anywhere.
3: So what was it, how did they notify parents on the day?
2: Did they call you on the phone? Was there an alert system? There was an alert system. um, Nobody ever expected this to happen. So the alert system, I think, was a little bit, it was a little bumpy that day. Uh, The phone call came. I didn't answer the phone because I didn't have the phone next to me and, you know. I generally don't answer phone calls anyway, um, so I didn't hear the first phone call. And then an email came, and the email alert said um, something like "There's uh, been a report of a shooting at a local school." Didn't tell you what school it was. That was it was one line. So I immediately went online, found our local news organizations, and within seconds knew it was my kid's school.
0: Mm. How many? Can I ask how many schools were in were in your district?
2: I th- think. We had four elementary schools, an intermediate school, a middle school, and a high school.
0: Because one of the things that struck me too on that day is that it really looked like Newtown could have been Bangor.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Like it looked very, mm-hmm. very familiar, which is probably another th- reason why, even though I h- had nothing to do with it, it felt closer this time mm-hmm. than a Denver high school or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are neighborhood schools there. So the school was less than a mile from my house. Um yeah. So did you go right away to the school? I didn't know what to do. And as a journalist, my first I thought to myself, okay, if I was reporting on the story, I need to go right now. But what does a parent do? I don't know what a parent does. And um tried to call my ex-husband. We were married at the time though. Um couldn't get him, couldn't get my parents, texted my two best friends. And one of them called me and said you have to go right now. Oh. So I did.
3: So what was it like when you showed up? It was chaos. Oh.
2: Um, it was chaos. That's that's. And then eventually I found him. And oh. better.
0: Gosh. One of the things that I read every year on the anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting, I post this picture of me and my daughter because a few weeks before I had taken her to Colorado... And every time I think, what I write is, here's all the things that she got to do because she left first grade and got to go to second grade. And I think of that even when she's being a monster. I still think of that. And I remember reading articles and reading about some of the kids, the stories of the kids say, and I see that and I think, how can you not be moved by this? How can this not change your thinking? In the way we handle gun laws, how can this not how does this how does this make you want more guns in a school? I just can't wrap my brain around it mm-hmm. you know and i and i I think my daughter's sort of in between your kids' ages. What was it like for uh and you can share whatever you want, but for your son, did he one of the things that i have i've recorded and it'll play in this episode by record asking my second grader about drills. Mm-hmm. And I asked her I asked about fire drills and lockdown drills. And she said that fire drills are scary and lockdown drills are not because that's just in case there's a really bad storm and there's trees swaying into the building. You have to stay in the corner so the trees don't come. And I'm, and I'm okay with that explanation. I think for a K three school, mm-hmm. I know that my older daughter does not know that that's not why you have lockdown drills. Um, mm-hmm. Did they have lockdown drills before this?
2: They did. um, Infrequently. um, I think like once a year or something. Um, But yeah, they had had drills before. In fact, I think they had had one recently before this happened. Um, And I guess you never think it's going to be a real thing.
3: So did, how long did you have to wait outside the school until he came out?
2: Didn't, um, so the way that was situated, the school was set back from the road, pretty far back in kind of a wooded area. And there was a firehouse that was, um, uh, much closer to the main road, right on the main road. So, um, you couldn't go back to the school they moved all the kids to the firehouse um, classroom by classroom and his classroom was very close to the front of the school where everything happened so he was one of the last ones evacuated um, so we got there and in the first room I didn't see him in the second room I didn't see him but as I get, but as I was in the second room his class came in so it was probably 10 minutes maybe that I was in there and didn't know where he was Okay.
0: How long was that from the time that you had shown up at the school? About
2: forty-five minutes. About well, about forty-five minutes from the from the time I found out.
0: That's and probably felt like ten lifetimes.
2: Yes, because you know, it, even though we were less than a mile from the school, um, the road was already shut down. You couldn't get down the road, and um, there was that whole chaos in the beginning of where I just didn't know what to do. So it took a little bit.
0: I know one of the one of the things that. Uh, that I had read was that there were kids that had managed to run out and run through the woods,
2: yeah, to were. this
0: old man's house. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I love, I hate the story. I hate that I'm having this conversation with you. I wish we were talking about recipes, frankly, because <laughs> I know that you're an amazing yep. cook, and I always look at your recipes and <laughs> and I nod, and then I open my plated box and go ahead. So, but I, so I hate that I love this story because it shouldn't be a story that exists, but that there is this old retired man who, all of a sudden, these kids showed up. And he let them in. And just what a, I just thought it was such a kind gesture, especially there's, we've talked a little bit about it on our show about how men are hesitant to help children because they're afraid they're going to be seen as suspicious, but he clearly knew that something was wrong and let them in. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think of that. I, and I, I, I can't imagine having that 45 minute wait. And I can't, and the other thing is that I can't imagine walking away with my child and seeing my friends. Yeah. I I I'm thinking of our own school experience, mm-hmm. but seeing people I know still waiting and that has to be hard.
2: When I when we were walking away, we were getting up the road and I got a text from one of my friends who said, you know, um our my one of our daughters, we had daughters in the same preschool class, um one of their preschool teachers was looking for her sister. So we went back and looked for her and <sighs> that I, I so so we left and then we went back and as we were going back i'm like i can't believe i have to go back right now but i had to i mean you you do what you can so did they
3: have a funeral for all the kids together or how do you even handle mass
2: funerals like that there were funerals oh my gosh and most Most of the people um, were Catholic. So there was also um, 20, 25 weeks.
0: And then I think there, I mean, and then if in the Jewish faith, they have their funerals really quickly. So, Mm -hmm. and I think there was at least one.
2: Yes, there was.
0: Jewish family. Noah. um, And I, I can't imagine. I I, I just, this, I mean, this whole podcast was like, can't imagine. Mm -hmm. So to have lived that experience and I know, I mean, it's a bigger school than some of our schools, but mm-hmm. 26 kids, you certainly recognize them, mm-hmm. at least.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the the little boy you just mentioned, his sister was in my son's class right across the hall. So how, was he
3: not in the classroom at the time? Um, so did, was he in a classroom
2: that got shot? Yes, he was in the first grade. His sister, his older sister was in the second grade. Okay but what did your son's classroom my son's classroom was just across the hall but the gunman never entered his classroom he only went in one side of the hall which you look at it and you think my god a choice of left or right is the reason my son's here yeah does does he remember that day yes
3: What happened, so I, I was reading that they moved the kids to a different school, mm-hmm. and um, did he go to the diff, the new he, school?
2: He did. Um, I, uh, that was his only year um, until we moved to Maine that he went to public school. Um, he had gone to a, another um, school that we had family members at, um, and after this, I felt like it was very strongly, it was really important that he finished out the year with that class, Um, And with the school, because the school had so many resources to help kids um, get past it and and, um, find their way back. Um, And my daughter, who wasn't in school at the time, um, she, just having had the experience in the firehouse, had some... um, Some... I don't. I don't want to call it PTSD because PTSD is not something you can diagnose that quickly. It, yeah. it, it is a prolonged thing. But she had some Im- impacts, and the school was able to help with art therapy and things like that. And oh,
0: I would think that even just for little kids seeing that many adults. So, knocked down.
2: I actually don't think it was the adults. I think really? it was the children. Really. One of the first things we saw when we walked into the firehouse was a little girl who was. Um, crying and screaming about um, not wanting to go back. That the bad man was going to get her, oh. and I. And that is the moment that I felt like that's the one that got to page.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh. Was did did that? Is that why you moved here? Um. I moved here for a couple of reasons. One was that i'd been a freelance writer for i don't know eight years and that was all i did and i really wanted to be back in a newsroom i felt very strongly that i needed to be in a newsroom so i was looking for the right position and it happened to be here in bangor um and also i did want to get them out of sandy hook because my son was at a point where he felt okay and his healing was was going well and um Living there, you are constantly reminded of it because you because it, the landmarks are right there past the firehouse four times a day driving down the road. Um, so I thought getting out of that um, environment was going to be good for us, and it was.
0: And I'm kind of going on some of the things. You wrote about this in the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I know that you talked to his, because of that article, I know that you talked to his teachers now mm-hmm. about that experience. Mm-hmm. How is how is he doing with that? Does it it does it come up less and less or is it sort of just baked into the DNA at this
2: point? Um, When we moved here, I talked to his teachers. I talked to the school principal. I talked to the school psychologist um, just to make everybody be on the same page.
0: Um,
2: But now it doesn't come up as much. And I actually have I no longer talk to his teachers. His principal is the same one. Um, that we had when we moved here so he knows Um, but I don't actually feel the need to go in and talk about it anymore Um, because my son is at a point where he is now 12 he can advocate for himself um, which he has already and um, if he needs help he knows who to go to
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, but it's not a day to day thing it doesn't affect his um, classroom it doesn't affect his attitude so it didn't feel like something that I needed to continue to be right there being okay well this is what happened you need to know this
0: is he is he sensitive to the lockdown
2: drills um only insofar as that it bothers him when other kids don't take them seriously Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he knows that sometimes it's not a drill so um he takes them more seriously and um gets annoyed when other people are laughing through it or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. i I was a teacher Mm -hmm. and i should look back because i remember one of the things that i I tweeted on that day on Twitter before we started recording was something like, I have been in first grade classrooms and they are just places of joy. Like that's all they are about. They, those kids don't you know, the worst thing that might happen is they might pee their pants and then they don't even care. <laughs> they just like oh, pee my pants, gotta go to the office maybe I'll get a snack. You know, like it's just the, like one of the happiest places mm-hmm. you could possibly be. And I think about what it must have been like, like obviously the moment, the traumatic moment is its own thing, but then there's all these moments after. Mm-hmm. So, and I think of like the backpacks on the hooks mm-hmm. that got left. What were what were some of the, I don't know if I want to say surprised, what are some of the things that sort of maybe caught you off guard or what are some of the things, what was your experience after the initial sort of experience?
2: Um, one of the things that caught me was, I did not want anything he wore that day. Didn't Mm -hmm. want it. Didn't knew exactly what he was wearing. Didn't want it in our house. So I donated his backpack. I donated his coat. I donated the shirt he was wearing. Um, Just, I needed it to be away from us. Mm -hmm. Um, So that caught me off Mm -hmm. guard. Um, The backpack was a funny thing. And then the lunchbox and whatever. For my son, it was my my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's going to get moldy. What's going to happen to that? because everything got left behind and we honestly didn't know if we were ever going to get anything back I, in retrospect I probably should have assumed we would but at the time it just we didn't know it was going to happen to anything that was left there so it was weeks. So it wasn't until we were in the new building that we actually got backpacks back and coats back and lunch boxes back which graciously somebody had gone through and thrown out all the lunches <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's
0: like you know because I'm thinking like oh like if there is some milk in there right? it's not good anymore
2: like the peanut butter and jelly, I wasn't so worried about. I'm like, what? What else was in there? Was there fruit in there? Oh, that's <laughs> gross.
0: So, so they collected things and got them back to you at the new location.
2: Yes, and what they did was, um, so a neighboring town donated an unused school building and helped retrofit it. It was a middle school building for elementary school kids. Elementary school kids are much, much smaller than middle school kids, so they put in smaller toilets and smaller sinks and the classrooms. They did, they, I don't know how they did it, but they made them look identical to the ones that had been at the other school. Oh, wow. Mm. Everything was exactly where it had been. Mm.
0: That's, see, that's like, I I remember, I know I read about the, the donated school and thought about the little toilets, actually, but having that same place that so it didn't feel like a middle school you know the middle schools always just feel so much more grown up and more mm-hmm. big so to have the elementary school be reset to elementary school stuff is is amazing
2: mm-hmm. how long
0: How long was it before they went back to school?
2: I think they were out of school for about three or three and a half weeks um, I don't remember exactly
0: this is almost one of those practical questions but how did the community handle that when there was a you know hear people panic about a snow day, were there services available for families to for child care and things like that?
2: Um gosh, I don't know. Um I I personally I, I was a freelancer right. at the time, but took the entire three weeks off. Um my ex husband's company called him and said, You take as much time as you need off. So I, and I think that happened to a lot of people where we were just given a lot of
0: That's mm.
2: Um, help and dignity and grace so what did they do with the old building
3: because
2: the students they never, eventually tore it down they just tore it down yep wow nobody wanted to re-enter it or um, most people i know did never never wanted to re-enter it um and they rebuilt a school on the property it's a state-of-the-art facility um it's supposed to be absolutely amazing has it reopened it reopened i don't remember if it was beginning of this year or the beginning of last year
0: I know, I, I've seen pictures, and it's a beautiful... I
2: think it must have been last year.
0: It's a beautiful school, and I, but I, I think they were architect's drawings, or the architect's pictures with no children in them, so I wasn't sure if it was open yet mm-hmm. or not. When you look at that at that time, and look at where, so it's been five, five years, you know, five and three, five and a quarter, what have you seen that's changed in that time for whether it's in that town, or have there been any laws that have changed? Has there been any impact because of that?
2: I know Connecticut had some laws change, um, strengthening gun laws and things like that, but nationally, I feel like there just hasn't been much fundamental change. Um, And I think we kind of see that um, with what just happened in Florida, that it's five years later, and... Gun laws still vary wildly from state to state. Um, in Florida, for instance, I was looking at this last night. You don't need a permit or a license to go buy a gun. That is staggering to me. That there are states where it, the access is so easy.
0: My family are hunters. We have we have guns. My parents have guns. They're locked away. They are rifles. I. They're not you know, assault weapons. They're not semi-automatics. They're used in hunting season and then they're put away. And I would happily melt them all down if that was what was required of us. Like, oh, okay, I really like venison. I guess I can only get it at Whole Foods now. I, I just can't believe that we have not made as much, any more progress. And one of the things, like I know that they tore down the, the school there. The Florida school just reopened mm-hmm. this last week. And I thought, I, you know, maybe if... These very fiscally conservative people who want very relaxed gun laws, if they had to build a new school every time one of these happened, maybe we could go at it from the idea of tax savings. We're going to raise your taxes to build a new school that you let get destroyed because you couldn't take away semi-automatic weapons from people who should not have them.
3: Did you have a difference in before and after this shooting happened at your son's school in how you perceived gun laws? or gun legislation in general?
2: Um, I, I guess so, to some extent. Um, it, it was a... Uh, I think I kind of struggled with it a little bit. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with owning guns, with guns for hunting, guns for your own protection. Um, and that's what I struggled with, because as I was... a approaching this and thinking about guns I it's not at all that I don't necessarily think that people shouldn't own guns I do think people shouldn't have AR-15s and guns like that I don't think people should have high capacity magazines Mm -hmm. in the moments it took for the shooter at Sandy Hook to change his magazine when he ran out of bullets those 11 children, I believe it was 11, um, escaped from a classroom and went to the old man's house that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, what would have happened if he had had a smaller magazine, a magazine that held four to five bullets, which I believe is the typical size magazine? How many kids would have been able to escape then? Mm. Um, and while I don't want whatever we do to be reactionary like that, you know, let's save as many kids as we can, I want it to be. Let's stop this from happening. I do think little things like that really matter.
0: Mm-hmm. I was I I was reading uh, Little House in the Big Woods to my daughter last night, and it just so happened it was the a chapter about Pa loading his gun, mm-hmm. and it's the Wisconsin pra- you know the woods of Wisconsin or whatever, and he uh, has to get out the big thing with the lead flakes, and he holds it over the fire, and he melts down the lead, and then he puts it in the bullet mold, and then he taps it in, and then he get like and it is an entire chapter dedicated to loading a, one bullet into a musket that he then puts on hooks over the door so that kids can't get it, but that he can. So he's keeping it out of the reach of his children. And I'm thinking, so, and in this conversation with my older daughter, I had a lot of conversations about about guns and shootings and things like that. And I said, you know, this is the kind of thing like this, when the laws were written, this is the type of gun. So imagine if every time you wanted to shoot something you had to go through this 12 step process to get it ready and then you shoot and the deer runs away and so you're you're, you know you're screwed but this is the idea that you don't want to be able to have the way i explained to her is that there are some people that believe that you should be able to have any kind of gun all the time no matter what and that we believe that you should be restricted on the types of guns that you should have and how many bullets they can shoot and those kinds of things because i think it can be a little perplexing to a kid who grows up in Maine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I see this with, I grew up in like Maine, <laughs> Washington County, everyone hunts their dinner. And and I have been in many Facebook discussions with people from back home over the last couple weeks. But what I find is that I, I say, I really think more of you are on the side of gun legislation and you just don't realize it, that and I, there was they were talking about guns in schools, and there was a girl I grew up with who is a hunter. She has an arsenal, and so and she works in a school, and since so she's guns in schools, she said, "I've been in the schools for twenty years. Do not give me the responsibility of a gun." And and she's the one person that I think I would be like. She'd probably do okay with it, you know. And even she's saying, "I don't want the responsibility of being an armed teacher." And I and I was like, "Thank you." This is these are the I need we need people like you to stand up and have those conversations. Um, a local bookstore did this great thing where it said "Arming uh, I'm all, I am already armed," mm-hmm. and it showed teachers with books and I'm armed with the knowledge and you know the caring and all of that. And uh, I had a former student reply. Someone posted we need to arm them with guns, and a former student commented that said, "I have a handgun. I have a concealed carry permit. I did not get into teaching." to bring that gun to school. That is not why I have it. That's not, I, I never want it. And I just, I love that bookstore project. We shared it on our Facebook page. I hated some of the comments that it got, but honestly I was like, they're never gonna, they're not buying books anyway. And <laughs> so, and they're, you know, and if they are, they're on Amazon. So I really applauded um, the briar patch for putting up because I just thought it was beautiful and there were some teachers and counselors and people that I know either fairly well or tangentially well through my work in education, I thought it was a beautiful tribute to teachers that, yeah, we're armed and we're armed to take care of kids.
2: And I do think that was a, it was a really important message that te- what teachers need in the classroom, they need supplies, they need adequate funding, they do not need to be carrying weapons, and the briar Patch did a really lovely job with that. Um, but also, as a parent, um, approaching this suggestion that teacher should be armed. I don't want my kids in a classroom with a teacher carrying a gun. Mm-hmm.
0: What I tell people is I want you to think back on the meanest teacher you had in school.
2: My second grade teacher who hated me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. I just <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> she doesn't. She's buying her books on Amazon too. But think about her with a gun. Think about if you did that one thing. Or think about the kids. I Ours was a sixth grade teacher and she was terrible. Terrible. T- like The things that she did were flat out abuse, and it was horrible. And she'd probably be the first one to say, "Yep, I'm gonna bring in a gun," and she'd probably carry it on a hip holster proudly, and would probably pull it the first chance she got. And I, I'm so glad she didn't. And then I think, and then I think back. So think of, think of the your your favorite teacher you ever had, right? So when you put that in your head, can you imagine your favorite teacher? Like, and my favorite teachers were like these sweet, wonderful, caring people that would. Not know the trigger from the muzzle or whatever it is. I don't even know. But they wouldn't, they would be like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. You know, they they wouldn't know what to do with it. And so I don't want them to have a gun either. Like there's very few people that I would want to have a gun in a school, not at all.
2: And I have a hard time seeing the logic of why you'd want people with guns in a school. Let's just say there is an active security situation. You want more bullets flying. Mm hmm. I mean, the potential for casual, casualties there is is astronomical. Um, it just, none of it makes sense to me that this is a good idea. I don't think the mere act of arming teachers is going to keep somebody who is motivated to do something like this out of a school.
0: I saw a quote that said, when you arm teachers, you're telling them that you're, you're giving, um, how to go, when you arm teachers, you're telling them that they may have to shoot one of their students. And because most school shooters are students. So... And even in this case, this Florida case, the student knew the pro- the process, knew the policies, knew the procedures and used those to make his attack and wore school clothes and then tried to blend into the crowd. Like it's just I, I think that there's this movie hero idea that gets in people's heads like I'm going to be the one that take him down. Like our president who said that he would have run in, which first you have to suspend Belief and believe that he can run, and second, you have to believe that he can that he would charge into a, a hail of bullets to save children, which I don't think he'd even charge into a hail of bullets to save his own children, frankly. I, you know, and like, but there's just hero mentality. Like, I can do it because I saw it in a movie once. No, you can't because it. I. It's not like it's a planned, a planned thing, mm-hmm. you know. When it, when if if it happens, God, I hope it never happens again. If it were to happen. The first minute is going to be like, what is going on? What's happening right now? I don't know what's going on.
2: Did they have armed security guards at Sandy Hook? It was an elementary school. No, no. It was a locked school. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really proud of their security measures they had taken, the brand new um, camera system they had. Um, but no, no no armed guards. And honestly, they thought the locks were enough. So what
3: is your, so some of the other ideas have been to put armed security guards at every school. What's your thought on that?
2: Um, So after Sandy Hook, we actually had um, uh, around the clock, well, not around the clock, we had, um, as long as students were in school, we had several police officers on the grounds. I believe it was two inside, two outside. Um, Because Sandy Hook got many, many, many threats afterwards. Um, to It was almost a daily thing of more threats. Really? Um, so, and I have, I, I, I like school resource officers. I think that they can be a really positive addition to a school community. Um, I'm comfortable with them having a gun and being in a school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about a, a security guard I'm not as comfortable with. They're not, um, they don't receive the same training. They don't um, have to Given all a Thor, um, why why did tell me more about the threats? What who was threatening threatening the school? Um, lots of just sick people who would phone in threats that uh, claiming that they were going to come and do the same thing. Oh my gosh! Um, the school was on permanent lockdown. Although it wasn't the kind of lockdown where you're in the corner; it was just permanently locked down. It was a closed campus. Um, and this is another thing where that town that donated our school building, um, did an amazing thing because there was two other school buildings on the campus, um, but to have the locked campus, we had two security checkpoints before you could even get to the school, any of the school buildings, um, so they took this on themselves to also, um, be in this locked environment where you had to show ID, you had to have we had to have a Sandy Hook pass um, to get on campus before you could even get to any of the buildings, which changes a lot about how you approach a child's school when you have to show your ID, and show your ID and state while you're there, and go through several locked entrances. And-
0: well, I think of I mean, if you've been at any school. And you're waiting to pick up the kids after practice or something. Mm-hmm. And you're standing by the door and, oh, here's another parent. Here's, obviously, you just push the door open and let them in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they say you're not supposed to. But, I mean, mm-hmm. 99% of them are people I recognize anyway. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine having that sort of double checkpoint.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, oh, you forgot your lunch. So right, checkpoint, checkpoint, here you go.
2: Well, it's checkpoint, checkpoint, park the car, go to the front end po- entrance. It's state wire there, get into the second entrance, and then get buzzed in again.
0: Did did that, do you think that police presence made kids feel more safe? Or did they notice, or was it?
2: Oh, of course they noticed. But the the police presence, I think, was a comfort to mm-hmm. a lot of people. It was a comfort to parents and to kids to um, an extent. And the police inside the school were absolutely wonderful one of them spearheaded this um sandy hook duck project where he i think he started by buying them himself and then eventually they were donated um the little ducks that you get from oriental trading company yeah got thousands and thousands and thousands of them and would give them out to kids every day Mm. like we had hundreds of ducks in our house for a while (laughs) we still have we still have them around the house not we don't have all of them anymore um but it And that little gesture, that little thing kind of brought a smile to their face. It made him a little bit less scary as a, you know, here's a police officer in my school. Um, So they looked forward to that. We also had comfort dogs in school every single day. I think we had two every day the entire rest of the school year. Um, And that... Um, brought comfort to and kind of it was a different school environment it is completely different than anything you can imagine um because there was a lot of steps we had to take to make sure the kids were safe to make sure the parents were okay um when they went back to school parents were actually allowed to stay in school they made a room for us and said you know if you want to stay here all day you can Mm -hmm. um they um, took on a lot of volunteers so parents could be you know involved in the school during the school day. Um, lots of lots of uh, things that they did to hmm. make everybody feel a little better. Um, when I got here, when I moved to Maine, and the first time I had to do a school pickup, and had to get out of my car and stand with a bunch of parents outside, it was unnerving because back in Sandy Hook, um, one we had to go inside, um, and two we had to sign the kids out. With one person, it was in a very controlled environment. If they didn't know you, you had to show ID. So to have these kids all come running out, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Mm-hmm. Like we're in a different world. We're in a world where people aren't scared the way we were. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I know I've called and said, and just called the office and said, "Oh hey, uh, James is going to pick up Willow," mm-hmm. and they go, "Okay,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess anyone named James can probably pick her up."
0: Mm-hmm. But and then yeah. you know that's just how it is the um
3: was it as small as
2: some of our schools here um i think we had about 450 or 500 kids in grades uh pre-k through four but i i think that you're
3: bringing up a good I don't know if it's feasible at every school to yeah. have this level of security but but what you're describing is a yeah. level of security for entering mm-hmm. and releasing children mm-hmm. but not prohibiting parents from being involved in academics mm-hmm. and involved in the school
1: mm-hmm.
3: infrastructure and being volunteers at the school. I think mm-hmm. sometimes that is a mis- is a confused
1: mm-hmm.
3: thought, you know, we we got to keep everyone out of the school. Right but it sounds like they not only had tight security measures but also integrated the parents
4: mm-hmm.
3: who wanted to be.
2: Yes.
0: Um when when we talk about school resource officers too, I feel like part of the job of a school resource officer is to know the kids. And for and and I don't think that they've been used too much in K4 just because they you know they they're it's just not a targeted population for you know doing dealing drugs on the playground or something like that. So Having when they talk about school resource officers, for instance, this you know the the one that he just was fired from his job because he didn't run in, and I kind of don't necessarily agree with that because I think there's you know I think there's probably a lot more to law. I'm not a law enforcement person, but I don't think that that's what you're supposed to do is just blindly run into a situation before figuring what's going on. And second of all, I feel like there's there was this incident in Ellsworth Mm -hmm. that was just in the news, and part of it was figured out with the help of the resource officer. That the re- and the resource officer can also, if they know the kids and know the students and understand all these other aspects of that student's life, it's a little bit more information to help determine if it's a credible threat, if it's something that should be, you know, can help follow it up. And it's just somebody else who knows. The more p- adults that know children, I feel is the better, whether it's the teacher, the school resource officer, a school nurse... Guidance counselor, the more adults that know a children, that's just more people who are sort of taking the temperature on the school environment. Obviously, this was not the situation in Sandy Hook because it was an adult that came in and not a fellow student. But for when you talk about high schools, you know, I I think that that's the role, not an armed militia out front to try to take down bad guys, but to be able to recognize some things that might worry uh, them about the people that are on the inside before anything happens.
2: I mean, I think having the level of security we had after Sandy Hook would be really unnerving to most kids Mm -hmm. um, and most parents. But having a school resource officer inside, I think it's a really I think it can be a really positive thing, both for their safety and for kids knowing that police officers are there to help. Mm -hmm. And in terms of having parents come in and pick up kids, I think there are perhaps better ways than we do it here. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I was trying to get at <laughs> like maybe we don't need to go to that level but maybe
3: we could fir- beef things up a little bit
2: right I mean it's still it, it still strikes me a little bit when I pick up my daughter that like how does the person beside her who is somebody from inside the school how do they know that I'm actually the right person to be picking her up Mm-hmm. like obviously she recognizes me but maybe right. there needs to be a little more control of this mm-hmm.
0: or if there was a situation if there was a, a custodial exactly. dispute like oh yeah it's my dad I haven't seen him in 10 months <laughs> 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 I can't believe he's here finally <laughs> you know things like that could be a little yeah oh, Yes, yeah, my dad I'm good see ya so I've been doing
3: a lot of research on just the shooters themselves mm-hmm. and
2: so Whose name I never speak. Oh, I have never said his name out loud. Oh, sorry.
0: That's the only time she's going to say it. I,
2: so I was reading...
3: <laughs> I, I'm i very open mm-hmm. politically to ideas. But as I read specifically his case and all of the um, warning signs, I, I really believe that the only intervention that could have prevented it is either A, not having access to guns or especially semi-automatic weapons. But the other is a, his mother reporting him to a mental health agency because he was in his room locked in there only communicating th- to her through email. He wasn't eating food. I mean, there were so many warning signs. It's. I mean, I, I hate to... I don't want to push all the blame on the mother because I'm sure... It's very difficult to manage a situation like that. But at the same time, I just think that if we try to control people and behaviors and fix this problem that way, we're not going to get very far because she believed that she was doing the very best for him. So what do you are there have there been any other ideas besides gun reform that you think could have pre- could prevent Sandy Hook or the recent sh- um, event in Florida? The concert,
2: yeah. I think this is a really complex problem that needs a really complex solution. Yeah. I think restricting access to certain weapons and the high capacity magazines is definitely part of it. Mm. Those weapons, while they weren't his, they were they were legally obtained weapons mm-hmm. kept in a locked gun cabinet in a house. Mm-hmm. So aside from making it illegal to own an AR-15, illegal to own a high-capacity magazine, there's not much you could have done to take those weapons away. Mm-hmm. And as a parent with an adult child, um, I don't agree with the, the decision to share the security code with her son, but, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to second-guess someone else's um, decisions like that. Um, I But I do think that gun control is a part of it. I think... Mental health um, is an important aspect of this, and how we treat mental health and the resources that we have available um, not just for children but for adults too. I mean he was now an adult mm-hmm.
0: this is This is the part where i where I get pissed at responsible gun owners and and because part of being a responsible gun owner is looking around is assessing your environment right Mm -hmm. so like for hunters they always like i will never you know when they say oh i thought it was a deer no you're supposed to know your target before you ever pull the trigger like that's the first thing they teach you in hunter safety which i took when i was like nine years old you always know what you're shooting at no matter what so there's this whole concept of I'm a responsible gun owner. I ne- I would never fire on a person. I would never do this. But part of that too is also taking a step back and looking around your environment. So, while my family hunts, if there was ever any indication in my children that's like if if all of a sudden they got real dark or there was just something up, I would be like, pack them up. I'm not even gonna take. I'm not gonna take them to a relative where she could get at them. I'm gonna give them to somebody that she would never guess to get them take these, lock them up. I'll buy you a gun safe. I'll do whatever. Get them out of our house. We can't have these around right now because something is not right here. And assessing that. And so that, you know, that woman was a responsible gun owner that was murdered by her own gun because she, and she thought she was a responsible gun owner by having a safe. And it's not about a safe. It's about assessing the risk of the whole picture. And you know, that's, that's one of the things like how could you even
3: I, I think there. that's an important discussion because p- people who are not currently supporting gun reform, including the, par- the not they weren't the parents, but the individuals who had taken in um, Nicholas Cruz, they were interviewed recently and they were asked multiple times... To validate, yes, you knew he had severe depression, his mother just passed away, he had autism, he had all of these diagnoses, and yet he still had access to six uh, semi-automatic assault weapons. And they must have given them five different opportunities to s- to say his mental health was probably not at a place where he should have been able to responsibly handle weapons they just kept saying it was his right to own to own guns and i think that is the conversation that we really should be having across political groups and to be honest i didn't even realize how political this topic was i guess i've just been living under a rock it just seems so common sense to me to say <laughs> you know we as a person who works in healthcare that certain individuals should not have access to guns because it is not only a risk to themselves which I care about their life too but it's also a public health risk it's a risk to the safety of citizens around you and that is an interesting debate because people don't believe that there should be any preclusions to mental health um diagnoses and gun access and ownership
0: well there's but then there's also the part where it's Ment, the men, people with mental health issues are more likely to have a crime committed to them than yeah. to commit crimes and it's sort of a way for people to ignore the gun control debate where the, the majority of gun deaths are suicides Yeah. so you know when I look at my at people who are like I'm a responsible gun owner okay great your kids all of a sudden really depressed you know like what, what do you do then if you feel like nothing's helping the, like in our family the guns are gone they're gone they're gone completely, and and my parents would be too. I'd call my dad and say, "Pack them up, take them someplace else. We can't have them accessed by our family right now because I because I'm very concerned about my child, or you know, God forbid, my husband or whoever." Um, so they they one of them was another one too is um, and uh, I think. Oregon just passed this the domestic violence for people who get convicted of a domestic violence offense or I don't know if it's charged or convicted I would have to look up the law I'll put it in the show notes have their guns taken away. So there was the case in 2011 with Stephen Lake, who was a man here in Maine who was supposed to have his guns taken away, and they didn't really know how many he had, which is why I think you should have a registration every time you get a gun. You're just like, if you look me up right now, you know how many cars we have. So why not look up and see how many guns you have? And I think that they had taken them and given them to his father or something like that. And so his father obviously was like, ah, whatever, sure, can't have his guns. And he still got them. And this is a man who killed his ex-wife killed both children and then killed himself there's a really uh are you familiar with Kate Br- Rip? no she is a writer from Maine and she is we read her book for book club but she is the chaplain for the Maine warden service and she has a couple really good books and she's done a couple moth uh shows and so I'll I'll post a link to this too but one of her shows is about going to that scene and she's praying over the people as they come out and the police stop her on one of them and I'll I'll put the episode up. People can listen to it because she's an amazing storyteller. But, you know, none of that should have happened. And and the, there was an article, and I'll put that into um, from the local news. It said law enforcement let us down here. And she was, and that was a kindergarten teacher. So that was a school that was impacted. The other thing is that we always hear that there were 17 victims in Florida. There were 26 victims in Sandy Hook. There were 59 in Las Vegas. There were, I forget, I Columbine has dropped off the top 10 list at this point. Um, and I look at that number and I say that is such a false number there that is not that there are 26 deaths for sure from you know 17 deaths, 26 deaths, but the victims mm-hmm. are like it's like a rock in a pond like that it just echoes out and and um and I forget which phrasing you preferred when you started. He's a survivor of the Sandy Hook. Is that the one you prefer? Yes. The survivor of a standing hook shooting, and he is a survivor, but your whole family has been impacted by this. And I and I know there's a lot of and I so I don't know if it's, I I don't mean to say you're victims, I guess I, I but I don't know what the other word is to say that you're impacted by this because clearly your daughter wasn't even in the school and mm-hmm. she was impacted by this mm-hmm. and. You are sitting here as the you weren't in the school. You're the parent. You were impacted. I'm sure his father was impacted. I'm sure his grandparents were impacted mm-hmm. to see that school on the news, you know, every five minutes. And so I think about you said there were like 300 to 400 students in that mm-hmm. school. So there's 300 to 400 kids, and let's be generous and say it was 200 pairs of siblings. That's so 200 families, and it just echoes out. And I and that's a part that I feel like there are so many people that are impacted that it isn't about. It is about the 26 people who died, Mm -hmm. but it has such a wide-ranging effect.
2: Yes, and you know, when I think back to Sandy Hook and and think about the numbers, the numbers kind of ping around in my head. Yes, there were 26 people that were murdered that day. There were two who were shot and survived. There was... Um, one who survived in one classroom, eleven who survived in the other classroom. And those numbers just keep coming. There are so there were so many kids impacted in so many ways. And they're all their families in the school, like you said. Um and then there was our greater town. I mean, we had I believe it was four elementary schools. Um and, and all these families over over this this town, that was I believe the greatest geographic area of a town in all of Connecticut um, impacted in different ways even people who were not didn't have kids in that school were impacted um, and, and it reverberated across across lines and the the um, recovery from that is different for everybody mm-hmm. um, and my yeah. pastor at the time all of, the, all of the pastors, all the clergymen from around town um, were regularly meeting and were getting help and, and assistance and learning what to do. And one of the things he told us in um, church a few weeks later was um, about the recovery process, which is really, hearing it at the time, it was staggering and I didn't want to believe him, that what we'd see immediately, and we did, was the town would come together and you'd see the very, very best in people. Mm -hmm. and then people would start to split apart and there would eventually be I don't want to say fighting but there would be disagreements there would be anger there would be all these different things and the recovery process would not be over in two months it wouldn't be over in three months it wouldn't be over in six months it would be a years long thing of going from stage to stage to stage um, to finding a way to you know be okay
0: we started this podcast because um, our difference in religion and and some difference in politics, but now we keep adjusting and we're like leveling each other out. <laughs> um, did you find your? So uh, can I ask what what religion you are?
2: Congregational, um, and I found that my faith was deeply impacted by this. Um, at the time, mm, at the time we were regular churchgoers, we went every week. Um, after the The following school year, they asked me to be a Sunday school teacher, so I was a Sunday school teacher. But halfway through the year, I just no longer felt like going. Just didn't feel connected to the faith that I had um, been a part of my whole life. And I rarely go to church anymore.
0: Do you think other? Did you see other people having similar?
2: Um, I I did um, although I, I haven't really talked about it with anybody else but I did see other people who I knew who were deeply impacted by it who faced other crises of faith. Do you think
3: that for because for me I I have not been in your situation but I'm so angry right now mm-hmm. about what's happening I'm so angry about Parkland and Sandy Hook and all of the other mass shootings and I'm very angry at people's response particularly among religious groups that I either are in my family or that I've been who, who, who I know are members of my church and their overt protests against any type of gun reform and I just to me it seems like the greatest hypocrisy I've ever seen there's been hypocrisy my entire life and I've accepted it as such and been frustrated by it, but it hasn't outraged me in any kind of way. But I have been so outraged about the hypocrisy, specifically among religious organizations or people who are affiliated with their strong religious viewpoints and their insistence on not changing a single thing around guns. Is that, was this part of it? Or is it also that how could God ha- let something like this happen? At one school versus not at another.
2: I wish I could say it was something really definitive like that, but it wasn't. It was more like, I just didn't feel connected anymore. Mm. I just didn't feel like going one week, and we didn't go again. Um it wasn't any kind of the church I went to the pastor who was our pastor was wonderful it was great it was a great community um it had nothing to do with them it had nothing to do with any of their viewpoints it had nothing to do with a a conscious decision that I was angry at God Mm. it was just that I wasn't connected anymore it wasn't where I was
0: Have you found connections in other areas that weren't faith-based? Or was it just sort of left behind? I don't know if that's the best way to say it.
2: I guess it was just kind of left behind. I mean, i found... We've all found since then different parts of ourselves that we didn't know. Like, I apparently like to hike a lot. I had never hiked before. Um, So, little things. And I wouldn't say that I'm completely without faith. Mm -hmm. Just that I am not feeling any pull to go be part of organized religion anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think we I want to <laughs>
3: clarify my viewpoint too. It's organized religion that I am disgruntled with there right was a now.
0: There was a church in Pennsylvania that just had a blessing of the AR-15s. No, they didn't. Are you kidding they, me? I, I, I am not. not kidding. I will find it and I will post they it in the show not. notes. Because like, like they do the blessing of the ships, you know, to go out fishing. They had the blessing of the AR-15s. When I was growing up, I was not raised in a church, but my dad always said he'd, if it's God's house, God's house is outside. So he sp- liked to spend his weekends hiking and canoeing. And that's, you know, he's a master main guide. He loves to fish and hunt and do all that kind of stuff. And that was his version of church. So I don't know if that, so, I, so when you say you, that all of a sudden you like hiking, maybe you have found your own connectedness by hiking up mountains.
3: Yeah, I, I think maybe. <laughs> well, there's a verse in the Bible. I was reading the Bible for a while every single day when we lived in portland and there was a verse that said heaven is here on earth and when i lived in portland we i really loved going to the ocean we used to go to the ocean this is pre-kids for dinner and <laughs> and i remember reading that in the morning and going to the ocean at night for dinner and and just taking in the beauty of nature and thinking yes heaven is here on earth you know be our, nature is beautiful and there's a lot of different ways to enjoy it um, and it's, it can be very spiritual. So do you, do you
0: ever go back to Sandy Hook?
2: I saw family there. Mm-hmm. Um, my cousin's son was also in the school at the time. Uh, so I do go back occasionally and see her. Um, my closest friend um, from there actually moved to Massachusetts afterwards, um, a little bit after we did move up here. Um, so I don't get back too often. Um, I don't love going back to the town, which is really sad because actually Newtown, Connecticut, was a, a town that was deeply important to my family. Um, we had a homestead there, and our family had been there for generations. And although I didn't grow up there, um, living there and living there in close proximity to our cousins was was really special. So mm-hmm. it's kind of sad now that I really hate to go back. Mm-hmm. That I don't my most of my family is buried there. Don't want to go visit the cemetery. Just.
3: What do you think about the Parkland
2: students are feeling about having to go back to school in the actual building? I think it's a deeply personal thing for every school community. Columbine also went back to school in their school community and they walled off uh, the library, I believe it was. Um, For us, we had meeting after meeting after meeting to decide what to do. Um, With the building, and the general consensus was, we don't want to ever set foot in there again. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think that's the same decision for every school. I think every school has to make it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I can't tell you what they're feeling. Their 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 experience is very different than ours.
3: What What do you What's your impression of the activism that's transpired since? since the shooting in Florida with, among the high school students. I think
2: the high school students are amazing and yeah. they've been amazing in how they've been using their voices and standing up to some really tough criticism mm-hmm. and trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, after these things happen, it's it can be really unnerving. The first time that somebody said to me, that didn't happen, that was made up. Mm. I lost my shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I <laughs> Someone actually said that to you? Yeah, it was on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, said that to me. I have never... It was one of the angriest moments of my life mm-hmm. that somebody had the audacity to tell me this didn't happen.
0: The, that's I think that's sort of what, what fueled um, some of the teenagers at Parkland, though, because there were there's videos of the classroom as it happens, and I you didn't watch them, I don't think. Yes, I did.
3: Oh, did you watch them? I did, oh, and so, I did too.
0: And so I watched them, and I remember the student said, if something happens, we need to prove... And I almost wonder if it was echoes of that, that you know, horrible hoax rumor. Like, no, there's going to be video. They can't not prove this. Like, we will. Like, if something happens to us, we're going to have video that shows what happened. They'll find our phones. Like that. That teenagers instinctively know they're going to check our phones. Mm-hmm. So set it to record and let's see what happens. But
3: they're still get, they're still getting accused of being paid actors and
2: being paid actors, being um, fed lines. Yeah. The, That they didn't organize the marches. Yes. They couldn't possibly have done it. Students couldn't possibly be this organized and do something this thoughtful. Oh, my gosh. Um, It drives me crazy that anybody would say that. That people don't understand that teenagers are very capable. Yes. They are are capable of a lot. They are capable of high-level thinking. They can make decisions for themselves, and they can be leaders in this country. Mm -hmm. And they can absolutely rise up and... March and protest and demand that we have safe schools because nobody should have to be fearful of going into your school building. Nobody should ever, ever, have to say, "Mom, there's an active shooter in my school." Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I, and I do hope they have some adults helping guide them One of the I read this thread that said you know remember they're just teenagers and somebody replied and said well, well it was teenagers in the Vietnam War it was teenagers. and I was like yeah but they didn't grow up in cyberbullying culture they didn't grow mm-hmm. up in it's a totally different mm-hmm. different world that they can speak out and be heard so far but also that means there's so many more people that can speak back to them mm-hmm. and so I said you know this thread basically said you know what they're probably going to say something wrong because they're teenagers and they're mm-hmm. probably going to be misconstrued and don't turn on them when that happens remember that they're teenagers so I do hope that they have some I think it's amazing what they're doing. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Like, I, I love it. I support them. I think it's beautiful what they've managed. They've managed to keep this at the top of the news for 10 days, two weeks now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which never happened before. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's because it was a high school. Obviously, it couldn't have happened like that at Sandy Hook. They're little children. And to keep this at the top of the news cycle is amazing that they've done it. And I and I hope that they continue to push um, the March. Do you want mm-hmm. Like so, so when we started, this- can I just say mm-hmm. one thing about
2: the, one more thing about the kids? So I think we can take an incredible lesson from them because mm-hmm. the people who spread these hoaxes are. Rumor, these hooks are lies. The people who spread these hooks are lies have very loud voices. Mm-hmm. They are very loud and they are intimidating and they are threatening. Mm-hmm. And these students have taught us you need to be louder. Your voice needs to be louder. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incredible what they're doing. Definitely. I, I, was, I was thinking too because I'd watched a quite a few of the
3: press conferences and other town hall events where the students have been challenging lawmakers and, mm-hmm. and they've been interviewed on the spot, and they've been so extremely articulate for mm-hmm. high school students. They have a clear message, and they, after these uh, attacks came out on them, I sent Gretchen the article from the Emma Gonzalez yes. and her response. Mm-hmm. She said she feels like she has no, she said so many words, she doesn't have any left, but then... Was that the one in Harper's Bazaar? Yes, and, that was incredible. Oh, and then someone says <laughs> something stupid, notes. and she just can't, yeah. can't even help herself, so... Um, I thought, you know, it's actually empowered me in a lot of ways because as I get older, I get more and more cautious of politics and I get more careful about what I say, about speaking out on certain issues because of ramifications. And what they have reminded me of is that if you're speaking out against injustice or making the world a better place, it shouldn't. You shouldn't be afraid of that. Mm -hmm. And that is what got us into these messes, is that we're all so afraid Mm -hmm. of offending somebody or getting people mad at us or where our funding's coming from that we've started to make decisions based out of fear and money Mm -hmm. as opposed to doing what is based in evidence and what is right and best for society.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Makes me so mad. So
0: when we started this podcast, (laughs) I was the political one. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) Kelly was not... And Kelly, would you like to share what your plans are for next month? Yeah, so I booked
3: my trip with two of my closest friends to Washington DC to do the march on Washington, which is if you knew me, you would this is way out of character for me. I in fact just we just had the women's march in January. Yep. And I said, I'm never going to do a march. I told Gretchen, I was like, I'm never gonna do a march and I did the march. She did the march, but two months later. Mm-hmm. A month later, I'm so mad. I am outraged. I will do every possible action that I can take to support those students, to support your your children and all the children that were affected at Sandy Hook and from Parkland, and to prevent this from never happening again.
0: So what would your final what would your parting words want to be for anyone who's listening to this? and I first of all, thank you so much mm. for sharing your story and for coming on because I I am one who believes that it's not going to be, like, and for some people, it's not going to be the evidence, the statistics and the reports that change Mm -hmm. people's minds, but to actually hear from a real person who experienced it, to be able to share that story is, sometimes changes people's minds in a different way. So thank you for coming on, first of all. Mm -hmm. What would some of your parting thoughts be? What would you want people to know?
2: Um, So, uh high school friend of mine reached out, right? She reached out to me last night and, um, she's someone who's been very supportive of me and of my family over the last five plus years. Um, and I, I know that she's a gun owner. Um, and she reached out to me as a gun owner and made a really great point that the way forward through this is not through arguing with each other and putting up walls and refusing to listen to each other. It is through finding, you know, mm-hmm. what's, the middle ground, listening to each other, finding the right solution. There's a lot of arguments over semantics. Mm-hmm. Um, we refer, we sometimes refer to the AR-15 as a semi-automatic rifle. And there are people who will be like, oh, but that's not a semi-automatic rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, those semantics, they don't matter. In, so instead of arguing and throwing up roadblocks and saying, well, that's not," you don't know what you're talking about. Um, we need to come together as gun owners, as non-gun owners, as um, parents and non-parents and figure out what is the right wording, what is the right way forward, what do we need to do to make this change, because mm-hmm. the, the, we need a change in this country. We've got an epidemic of gun violence, mm-hmm. and I don't want to see any more families have to go through this. It is a horrible, horrible thing, and it is, it is life-changing. It changes everything about how you live. It changes how you parent. It changes um, the way you think about the world. So, I, I we need to come together. We need to find a solution and it needs to be immediate. We mm-hmm. can't wait any longer. And uh, I wish that the deaths of 20 first graders would have been enough. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't enough after the students in Columbine, it wasn't enough after Sandy Hook. I hope Parkland is this is the time.
0: Yeah. So instead of favorite things this week, we're going to share a couple of organizations that you can use to get involved that Kelly and I are, are want to recommend. Um, the first is momsdemandaction.org and you can donate to them and get involved. Tonight, Kelly and I will be at, I think it might be the first meeting in this area because mm-hmm. I, I didn't see that there were other meetings before this. They're all down in Portland. And so we're going to be going to that meeting tonight with our kids in tow. And I've had a lot of people actually um say they're going. And I, and then there's a couple that absolutely can't go. I'm going to try to Facebook live it for people. Um, also, the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence, which is at Giffords.org. Uh, the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, which is CSGV.org. And the Brady Campaign.org, the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. Which, by the way, the Brady Campaign was named after James Brady, who was a one of the Secret Service agents protecting President Reagan, one of like 12 armed secret service agents, highly trained people that were surrounding one person and Reagan still got shot and so did so did Brady. So it was one of those things when I when they say oh more, you know, more school security guards, no. Unless you put even with a team of 12 around every single student, there's still room for something to happen. Mm-hmm.
3: So for me, I've I've been trying to muddle through like you're saying all of the semantics that people get caught up on uh, related to gun uh, gun related death and so I've been doing a lot of research on, that's not from the media, that's just straight from actual data uh, so I spent quite a bit of time on Harvard, so mine aren't activist groups but just right, a different right. approach um, I spent a lot of time on Harvard Injury Control Research Center and they have uh, an entire center for, f- for firearms research and peer reviewed publications um, that that quite frankly debunk all the myths that we've heard in the media about firearm death, uh, and I found it comforting and very reassuring and validating. You know, you can think in your in your mind that these issues are common sense. It's common sense that we have gun reform, but when you dig down into the data, it's very clear that. We absolutely need it, and like you said, it needs to be Im- immediate. Um, also, I spent a lot of time on CDC and Statistica. Um, they have great visual graphs of data for all gun-related death, g- broken down by demographic, broken down by gun gun ownership. Um, and then another great site actually is the Gallup uh, Research um Surveys because it it gives you a little bit of sense of comfort in how Americans are perceiving certain uh, gun related issues because some, sometimes with your social media feeds or like the responses on the Briar Patch, um, we're already armed posts you get hor- horrified at least I do when you see some of the comments um, but the the Gallup surveys are really great and just showing where the country stands and the majority of Americans the overwhelming majority believe in more gun reform and also believe that adding, increasing guns actually makes people feel less safe, not more safe. Uh, so so those are the three areas I've spent a lot of time. I mean, you could spend days just on the Harvard site, um...
0: And the final one is, of course, um, Sandy Hook Promise, which is, you can find it at sandyhookpromise.org. And they have lots of information, and their idea is to build a national movement of parent schools and community organizations, engaged and empowered to deliver gun violence prevention programs, and mobilize for the passage of sensible state and national policy. And so we want to end with that organization specifically. And thank you very much for coming on, Sarah. Really Maybe we can have you on for recipes and fun
2: stuff another time. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm happy to talk about cooking anytime, books, other happy subjects, rainbows and unicorns. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing
0: your story. And we will be back next week. Bye. 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 How old are you? Seven. You're seven. And what grade are you in?
4: Second grade.
0: Okay. And what's your favorite thing to do at school?
4: Mm, I like to read
0: you like to read? Do you have yeah. a favorite kind of book? Yes. What kind?
4: I like um, the book biography books, like the Who Was books.
0: Yeah? Do you have a favorite, or just in general?
4: Um, I have a favorite one.
0: Yeah? Mm-hmm. Which one?
4: Who Was Jeff Kinney. Kinney.
0: Who's Jeff Kinney?
4: He writes Diary of a Wimpy Kid books.
0: Oh, have you read those? Yes. Yes. Okay. And what's your favorite thing to play on the playground?
4: Um, family with my friends.
0: You play family with your friends? Yes. What What do you play?
4: I play the
0: teenager sister. The teenager sister? Yes. What does she do?
4: She just sits on the tree stump doing nothing.
0: <laughs> so you don't get in trouble? Nope. Okay. What happens when you have a fire drill at school?
4: You get startled and then you go to the back of the room and you don't say a word and then you just go out and line up and um, turn around and then you wait for your teacher, I mean your principal, to say, all clear to return to building, all clear to return to a building. Yeah? Yeah. Is it scary? No. No? Only when the bell rings is like, pew, 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 and you're just like, <laughs> what happened?
0: So, what happens in a lockdown drill?
4: Um, The principal says, like, it's in a lockdown, and then you go to the back of the building. Well, not the back of the building, but the classroom, and... You sit quietly, and sometimes your teacher reads you a story.
0: Yeah. Are the lights on? No. No? What does the teacher do when there's a lockdown drill?
4: She reads a book.
0: Does she do anything in the classroom?
4: She, like, closes the door, turns off the lights, and she just gets a book and comes over and reads it to us.
0: Does she read it quietly?
4: Um, yeah.
0: Mm hmm And what do you think of lockdown drills?
4: I think they're... Not as scary as, um, the fire drills.
0: No? Why is that?
4: Because, like, you just say, lockdown drill, lockdown drill, and then the, f- the, um, fire drills, like,
0: beew, pew, 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 Why do they have fire drills?
4: Because if you had an f- actual fire, you would do that same thing. You just wouldn't go back in the building.
0: Okay, and why do they have lockdown drills?
4: Because... Um, in case there's like a big storm, and it's and like trees sway into the classroom. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. And what else do you want to tell me about what it's like to be in second grade?
4: The math is harder.
0: The math is harder. Yes. But do you do do you do well at math? Yes. What else do you think people who are listening to this podcast should know about being a second grader?
4: You want to be a second grader.
0: You do? Why is that? Because you're all
4: grown up and then the first graders are like...
0: like, (laughs) We can't see your face. What are the first graders like?
4: They look up at you and they're like, Hi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So second grade, you're all grown up. Yes. Yeah?
4: I'm a grown up like you.
0: (laughs) Well, what will happen in third grade?
4: I'll be older than you. No, you won't. Okay. okay, I'll only be nine.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thank you for letting me hear about your school. Do you have anything else you want to say? No. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.